Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, question everything. It is a command for the ages from Socrates and Euripides to Virgil Abloh and many sages in between. It's also essential in journalism and it's what my guest for this episode, Danielle Robet, does for a living. Danielle is a TV host and journalist and the host of the video podcast, Pretty Smart. Danielle's love letter to bold, inquisitive women was something to say. With a loyal social media following of over 300,000 followers, I'm one of them, Danielle has chatted with everyone from Taylor Swift and Michael B. Jordan to Helen Mirren and Tom Hanks. The late, great Larry King once remarked, Danielle has the ability to make everyone feel seen. And I think that begins with asking questions. So welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Thank you so much, Barbara. I have um, looked up to you for years, so it's a huge honor to be on your podcast, and I really appreciate your time. What a thoughtful and kind and generous thing of you to say. So let's talk about the power of questions, because you and I have spoken about this, you know, off camera many times before. So how did, were you always a curious kid? Always. So much so that if you, I hope you meet my parents one day because I think you would get along, but they will tell you the story about how I was in the backseat of the car when I was probably three or four years old. And I would just ask them, why is it green? Why is it red? And they would be like, Shh, let's play the quiet game. <laughs> but really like, I just wanted to know I was obsessed with why. And when I met Larry King for the first time, I felt understood in a way that I never had before because he was the same way. He would tell me stories about how he was a kid getting on a bus and he'd go sit by the bus driver and say, why do you like to drive a bus? I just wanted to know the why. I love this so much. Let's dive right in because let's go right into the Larry King story, which is incredible. How did you meet Larry King? So I keep, um, he signed my microphone for me right before he passed away. And I keep this with me. I bring it to all my pretty smart interviews. Um, but it was sort of an LA miracle because I got a job that I thought was it. It was my dream job. It was why I moved to LA. And anybody who is in entertainment, I think in any form, understands the amount of hours and sacrifice you make when you're just trying to climb the ladder. I was from Chicago. I didn't know anybody. I had no money. Like I I had no in. And so I just was so hungry. And when I got this job, I thought, oh, finally I can breathe. This is it. And I got there and I absolutely hated the job. And so after probably about four months, four to six months, I quit. And I was so depressed because I thought this was my dream job. If it's not, what does that mean? What am I, what I thought my whole life was sort of like contingent on this purpose. And if this wasn't it, what does that mean for me? And so I was reading, I was watching hundreds of hours of Robin Roberts and Barbara Walters and George Stephanopoulos and was really a student because I thought I'm going to take this time and take myself to grad school. And I would, I'd have, I still have Google docs of notes of 
how people use their hands. I mean, you probably know this better than anyone, but there's that old sort of saying in our industry that you can tell how skilled and how much of a veteran someone is by looking at their hands. And so I wanted to watch how everybody did it, how they transitioned from question to question, how they greeted guests. And so um, that's what I was doing, but I was still sort of depressed. I didn't have a job and I had, again, no money. And so my friend said, you know, I have a surprise for you. Be hair and makeup ready, like your podcast, get camera ready and uh, be ready at 6 a.m. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to Beverly Hills. And I was like, why do I have to be hair and makeup ready at 6 a.m.? <laughs> Where are you taking me? And so he was like, don't ask any questions, just be ready. So I jump in his car and around 7 a.m. we walk into Nate and Al's, which is a really famous deli in Beverly Hills. And he said, look to the left. And I look over and Larry King is sitting at one of those red booths with about six of his friends. They were all 75 plus. And so I sit down and he said, you're having breakfast with Larry. And I had so many questions because I had watched, like I said, hundreds of hours of all of these people, Larry King included. And I needed to know all of the things. And I sat down and I could not get one question out because he was so insatiably curious. And he kept asking me, honestly, the most inane questions, like, why do you eat blueberries? And what do you think about the Kardashians? And are you addicted to your cell phone? Like he just, he was so curious, especially about young people. He was really, he wanted to stay young forever. He was sort of obsessed with youth and he was so curious. And so by the end of the two hours, I, he had to go to work. And I said, Larry, can I come back tomorrow? And he said, don't you have a job? And I was like, not right now, actually. <laughs> and he said, sure, you're welcome anytime. So I went back three times that week. And then subsequent to that, once a week uh, for about eight months until I got a job and had breakfast with Larry and he became my mentor. Every time you tell me the story, I just I just stop in my tracks and and am so blown away on so many wonderful aspects and details and your your wherewithal and everything. So I'm trying to think like what the listener is thinking about right now. So okay, so what's the most important thing Larry taught you? I like really detailed, granular things, and um, Larry taught me how to personalize questions, and so. I'll give you the example he gave me, but he said when he would interview politicians about abortion, instead of asking them about their thoughts on a bill or a Supreme Court decision, he would ask them, uh, and usually it was men at this time, so he would say, if your daughter was raped and she had to go get an abortion, would you drive her there? And I, that's sort of an extreme example, but that's the one he would use. And now when I do interviews, I think about that because I think the first question that comes to our mind often is a really broad one. Like um, I'm interviewing Constance Wu for Pretty Smart in a few weeks. And I was thinking about these questions. She was so into therapy after writing her book. And I thought of these really broad questions and then Larry's voice rang in my mind. And he, I was like, no, Danielle, personalize it and you'll get a way better answer. Okay, that's a nugget for the ages. 
So, you know, what's an example, like when you, if even broadly for you, because this is so valuable to understand. And in my coaching, I often talk about the power of being specific. That's Mm. the same thing, even in descriptive language. It goes back to my favorite thing from the Devil Wears Prada. It's not blue, it's cerulean, right? So when we get specific and personal, that makes a difference. So how do you connect that dot to somebody? That's a really good question. Um, I really try uh, before every interview, I think about what makes this person tick? Um, What are they driven by? Because everybody's different. And so I try and, and that's why I love reading people's books so much is it's a way deeper connection to them than maybe just um, like a three minute GMA interview. And so if they do have a book, start there. If they don't, I would say start with like a long form YouTube or podcast interview, but try and see if you can feel what makes them tick. And then personalize that because if you can get into their heart, it's, I think the interview changes drastically. Okay. I want to go way back because there was so much that you said that I want to go back to. So I want to go even your four to six months into your dream job, which by the way, I just want to acknowledge for everyone, you left Mm -hmm. Chicago where by you had gotten yourself on the morning show. You're the youngest person ever, Yeah, you know, in, in, in that market, which is just an incredible accomplishment. But then you you pursue your dream in entertainment, journalism, and hosting, come to LA. What questions are you asking yourself that give you the courage to walk away from that job? Oh, this is my favorite question ever because I didn't ask myself any questions. So I call this uh, PTA, wait, no, PSA, excuse me, pre-self-actualization. And this was pre-therapy, pre-question everything, And um, I was actually during this time where I was unemployed, it was before I moved to Chicago. And I made a list of about 800 questions that I wanted to ask dream interviewees. So I wanted to interview Oprah and Michael Jordan and you know, all those people. And everybody wants to meet Oprah and Michael Jordan. And then you think, okay, say you see them at like a sneaker store or a breakfast place, what are you gonna ask them? Like it's so, it's hard to think on the spot. So I thought I'm going to be prepared for these interviews, (laughs) no matter when they come up. And I wrote down a list of 800 questions. And after my breakfast with Larry, I would go and look at these questions and see if I could edit them. And I was looking at them one day and I thought, I never asked myself one question. I ask other people questions for a living. I have never asked myself one. And that's not an exaggeration. And so I thought, if I'm going to be able to ask these people questions, I better be able to answer them myself. And I took about five a day and I'm not a huge journaler. So I would answer them in my mind, but in hindsight, I wish I would have written them down. And I asked myself five questions a day. And by the end of all, when I answered the 800 questions, I think it probably took me like four or five months. I was a different person. I was more confident. I was more self-aware. I felt honestly, I felt more magnetic because I was practiced at asking questions. So I had better things to share at dinners, um, at even phone calls with my parents. I felt them more connected to me because I started asking more insightful things about their childhood and what they were driven by and what excites them and their best memories. And I realized that questions are a superpower. A lot of kids, when they grow up, want to be like a pop star or in the NBA. And 
physically, there's a lot of limitations for a lot of us. Like I'm five, one, I'm never going to play professional basketball, no matter how good I am. Everybody has the superpower to ask questions. Like it's truly, it's in your mind. If, if you use my game, it's in your pocket. Everybody has the opportunity to do this. And I've seen it change relationships. I've seen it change um, career paths. I really, I think it's, it's a game changer. I feel like I should be paying you for this podcast interview. Yeah. I am getting so much out of it. You know, here's one thing that popped in my head. So I always say curiosity is one of the core requirements to be a good host, journalist, et cetera. And it's often overlooked in the, because to me, it's actually, it's a hard skill. But I also love that now you take it from like, this is a, you know, you need to be curious. Asking questions is the action attached to that. And you said, I'm going to master asking questions, which is just incredible. And I want to also acknowledge for anyone listening, because this does come up in other interviews and from people I've coached and worked with, is how important it is to study people who are really, really good at this. And I think that many people starting out and many people pretty far never think to do that. There, I always feel like there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Look at who's doing it best, who's done it best. And take what they're doing and make it your own. You know, it's like you have your own personality. But um, I studied the way Barbara Walters prepared for interviews. And I prepare the way she does. Like, there's a whole sort of system. And that's what works for me. But people have been doing this for hundreds of years. Why, you know, why should we be doing it any differently? Wait, can you give us a little bit of the Barbara Walters way? Oh, yeah. No, I love it. So before I read anything or look at anything, I sit down and I write my initial questions down. Um, I think that's important because once you're in the weeds of people you and, and what you're gonna ask, you have a different set of questions. So it's important to have like the initial questions that the audience would have knowing absolutely nothing. And then dive into their book, their podcast, study them. I, I like to say, I know people almost better than they know themselves by the time I sit down to interview them. And then I write down another list of questions. Then what she would do is she would order them. So then I put them in an order and I kind of think of it like a song almost. This is not Barbara. This is just my way of looking at it. And so a song begins slowly and then it has sort of a crescendo and then it comes down again. And I try and I try and formulate the interview to follow that sort of sing song. And then um, Barbara would have a producer look at them and they would sit together and they would cross questions out, reorder things. And then if she had time, she would wait a day or two and wake up and reorder everything. And she always had them on note cards. So if you watch like her 2020 or her most interesting people, they would be on note cards. And so sometimes during the interview, she would throw one out <laughs> because you have to basically be completely prepared and then be willing to throw it all away, I think. So good. You know, I was imagining Gail King sometimes shows, puts up photos, you know, on Instagram of her behind the scenes. And I remember when she was interviewing Bruce Springsteen, I think for 60 minutes, and you saw the, the shot from over her shoulder. And so her, she was like yellow pads, note cards. It was oh, so fantastic. It's just like, because I just, again, want to prove it's like, you know, Gail, top of her game is so freaking prepared. Nobody is winging it. Nobody's winging it. And if they're making it look easy, it's because they've studied so hard and they're really good. So, so good. Yeah. Wow. Thanks Should... for giving me a place to nerd out on all of this because I love talking about this. 
Oh my God. I could nerd out on this all the time. You know, one of the questions I had in advance for you was I was curious if you've ever asked a question that was for lack of a better, like the wrong question as in like inappropriate or, you know, where you had to walk it back and like, how did you recover and what you learned from that? I have PTSD from (laughs) (laughs) what I'm about to share with you because it was my worst interview ever. Um, I really learned a lot from it. So when I was in Chicago doing the morning show, Jeremy Piven came on and he's from Chicago and he was, uh, I think eight women accused him as part of the Me Too movement. And he was starting to do a comedy tour and he wouldn't speak to any female journalists. And so he came to Chicago and he thought, I think it would be more of a safe haven because the city loved him. That's where he was from. And the Piven Theater that his mom created is there. And so he spoke to a few male journalists and I was going to be the first female journalist that he spoke to. And uh, I had known Jeremy very briefly in L.A. and had done a few interviews with him for entertainment purposes. And so he knew me. We don't know each other well, but he knew my face. He knew my name. He remembered that I was from Chicago. And uh The night before I called every single mentor that I had and said, how would you approach this interview? And every single one, I thought I spoke to four different people and every single one of them would approach it differently. One person said, start with the big question and then go softball. The other person said softball and end with the tough question about me too. Um, And they were all from different backgrounds. Some of them were hard news. Some of them this guy used to work at extra. So I had all these different perspectives and I took it all in and I thought, okay, what am I going to do? And it was live TV. And the executive producer I was working with said, you should start with the hard hitting question, because if you softball him, it looks, it looks weird. Like you're just leading up to this moment. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go with my executive producer. My gut said not to do that, but I listened to him. And Jeremy was unaware that we were going to be asking anything. He thought we were talking about comedy, which later I realized is also not okay, that people should be prepared to answer questions. And it's sort of gotcha journalism, but I didn't know that at the time. I was very green. So the lights turn on, the floor director is like three, two, one. And I look at Jeremy and I say, Jeremy, it's great to see you. I'm really excited you're here, which I should not have. Why am I saying I'm excited he's here? I should not have said that. And I said, you've always been a straight shooter. You know, eight women accused you as part of the Me Too movement. We're live. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. What are you thinking? And his eyes darted at me like I thought fire was going to come out. It was horrible. And he turned it on me. He said, Danielle, you know me you know, my family, I don't know his family. And he said, you know, my family, this is not my character. And he denied these allegations. And we moved on to the rest of the interview, which he had not a lot to say. So it was like pulling teeth at that point. The interview's over. I, he goes screaming out of the studio, screaming in the green room. And I learned a few things. (laughs) I learned one, even if you trust your producers, I think you always have to make sure that 
you are your own producer as well. And so um, I think I should have had a conversation with him or his PR team prior to the interview so that he knew we were going to talk about it. I would have asked it at the end, not the beginning. And I, I wouldn't have asked him so flippantly. I think I would have been um, more serious about it, never accusatory, but serious. And I just was nervous and green and scared to ask the question. And afterwards I realized that you should never be scared to ask any question because that's what the audience is wanting to know. And so you're actually giving people an opportunity to clear things up and, and, and get to the point, I think, instead of um, if you tiptoe around it, it makes them look, it makes your guests look weird too. That was a very long story, but it, it was, was fantastic. It was a mess of an interview. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry that you experienced it. And yet it's awesome that you experienced it because you learned so much from it. And here you yeah. are and yeah. you have an amazing platform. I'm so glad that you just mentioned that about not tiptoeing because for people who are learning to interview and developing their confidence, that is a scary part. So just always realizing that there are no bad questions, quote unquote. And when you're asking that question, if the person you're speaking to has been media trained well, mm -hmm. they will know this is an opportunity for them to, to share their version of the story. Exactly. So it's always like, thank you for asking Danielle, because now I get to talk about it. If you had mm -hmm. never asked, everybody still got their opinions out there. So that's- You said that way more eloquently than oh. I did. But yeah, exactly but that. And also I think it's um, a gift to be able to mess up in a smaller forum. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would have been really mortified. I always wanted that big job and I always felt ready and I wasn't ready. You know, I, like imagine I did that on Good Morning America. How embarrassing. I think trust the timing of your life as well. Oh, that's fantastic. And then I also, again, for anybody who's listening, who's new or aspiring to this, why do you not say, I'm so excited you're here? Um, I'm curious to know what you think. My instinct was, I'm excited you're here felt weird because of the subject matter. We were talking about Me Too and sexual harassment and I should not have been excited that he was there. Um, it just, it was off, but I, I got nervous and didn't know what to say. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It, so what you're saying is that it, it so much comes down to language so mm -hmm. that because you're both doing a job, right? Yes. And so I'm so excited that you're here is, it actually undermines your credibility because it implies your fandom. Yeah. So it's one thing if you're such a superstar, if you're Oprah or Gail, there are moments where you could be like, oh my God, I I'm truly excited, right? Because Even like then, I don't know, right? Like, I mean, I guess it's like if they grew up watching Janet Jackson and Janet's there and they're like, oh I mean, my it's God. Like when they're having, yeah, they're having a moment. But to your point, other than that, um, sometimes I think you could say, I'm grateful that you're here. Or I'm so glad that you said yes to sit down and have this conversation. But mm -hmm. the big point is never undermine your authority and your credibility. Now, sometimes I say, thank you for sharing your time with me. Mm -hmm. And true. I do, I mean that, you know, I'm, I am grateful for their time, but yeah, it's, there's a, there's an interesting power dynamic in interviews that you sort of have, I think only for me, at least it took time to master. Oh, I agree. I mean, for me with my podcasts and different people who come on the same, it's just, you mm -hmm. always want to be respectful. And it's a lot about owning your chair. 
unapologetically, even as you're a work in progress and learning at the same time, when you're, you know, living your confidence, you also have to remember, you know, to not either overplay or the same thing, you know, what it is to be professional and respectful of the person on the other side. I meant like, like, don't get cocky or, you know, flippant. Um, And again, it goes back to respect. Changing a little bit, I wanted to ask though, because I love this on a recent episode of your podcast, Pretty Smart, talking about sleep, one of my favorite topics, (laughs) because you and I are big sleepers, it turns out. I'm an unapologetic sleeper. And um, some people listening now, it's like, and I'm also an early bird. I wake, I'm an early, early riser. And it's like- What's early? What time do you wake up? um, Six. That's great. You know what I mean? I get up at six and like, I'm, I'm not lights out at 10, but I'm, I'm in, you know, ritual at 10 I'm reading and, you know, and have you always been your whole life? No, that's why it's really funny to someone. Like when I was in college and in my twenties, I was such a night owl, you know, and like, I used to go to clubs and everything, but just you know, life has shifted and that would, by the way, way more productive at this point in my life as an early bird than I was then. But what I really wanted to talk about was because this is to me questioning how we work was the quote from um, Glennon Doyle that sleep is the secret of superheroes, which I love. Yes, I agree. But sleep is, especially a city like New York, is often at odds with our, you know, one, our outward personas, like in New York, it's, you know, it's a badge of honor, the idea that like you need no sleep, et cetera, except to the point when you're, you're Ariana Huffington and you collapse you know, on a treadmill and then, you you know, she starts Thrive Global, God bless, but also, but just in entertainment. I mean, like to be a correspondent, you know, it's my pinned tweet, if anybody still ever goes to Twitter, but the whole idea of how much stamina is required Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of not sleeping. Yeah. So I, I wanted to go back to the, in terms of the questioning everything and having the courage and you, by the way, and J-Lo, which I loved because I am aware that she too was like, Nope. I know what I need. And, um, lights out at nine, I'm going to be peak tomorrow. So thanks for the invite, but no can do it. I'm like, oh, she's my hero. But anyway, going back to my long-winded question was how do you get there? Um, I have no choice because I'm not one of those people that does well without sleep. I think mm-hmm. some people I've dated people that need like four or five hours and they're fine. I'm a mess. Like my, Wait, head- I don't want to be fine though. I want to be more than fine. Great point. And I also don't know what that means for them in terms of what their lifestyle looks like. I feel like when you are on camera in particular, but also working in entertainment in any capacity, having your mind work really quickly and not having brain fog and making good decisions because your decisions are like, they can really impact a lot um, quickly is really important. And if I'm not sleeping, I'm not able to think straight. I'm not making great decisions. Uh, My workouts get messed up. I start eating sugar that doesn't make me feel good. It's just sort of this terrible cycle. And there are moments where I think you have to push it. Um, It's impossible not to. When I was doing the morning show, I was up at 2.45 every single day. And I did that for almost two years. And I knew it was a sacrifice on my body, but to me, it felt worthwhile. But other than that, I really prioritize it. So I, I just won't answer messages, won't answer emails. I'll get to it the next day. Um, cause I just feel like my, my mind and my body and 
right. You know, not to sound corny, but that whole mind, body, soul alignment is really important to me. I know it's important to you too. Not corny to me, but I was laughing a little bit because your description of, um, as things start to go downhill is, is what it's like to be on a launch, which I actually also find incredibly exciting. And I love, but you start out with so such the best intentions. And as you get closer and closer, it's suddenly you're eating so much more pizza yeah, like Jolly Ranchers and hot tamales and like coffee at six o'clock in the <laughs> evening. And um, <laughs> you're so grateful. Like I took the stairs today because that's the only exercise I'm going to get. And by the way, I wouldn't trade all that. It's starting to figure out like, you know, how are you going to balance that? But so part yeah. of it is also learning to nap, also using meditation as a way to clear your mind. But then yeah. uh, going back to uh, for anybody listening, the other reason too is that's so important, I think, is that to be on camera and also just to be on the microphone. It's the same thing with podcasting, anything is you have to be present and yeah. it is hard to be present when you're exhausted. And by the way, if you have a job that requires that you're present, you'll know what I'm talking about because it, it's exhausting to be present for an hour, two yeah. hours. When I think about people, you know, doing QVC who are live for four hours, when I think about, you know, Howard Stern live for four hours, it, 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 to, that truly is a marathon every day because yeah. most of us don't have to be present and we can like doodle and zone out and not really fully listen. So you can't. So that's one of the reasons why that, you know, sleep, rest, wellness connection to all this is a, you got to be present. And then when you're present, you are actually going to pay attention to the details. You can be a better active listener. You're going to ask better questions, get better responses. And then if you're behind the scenes, you're going to wait, you way better job at noticing the details. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that. I think the questions, um, when I'm tired, I miss the good follow-ups because I'm not as present. And so, uh, yeah, well said. Well, okay. So speaking of questions, I also want to get in that you have the most amazing question, everything deck of cards, which by the way, so I'll have a link in the show notes, but the most beautiful white and gold packaging. I mean, it's just stunning and lives on my desk. So I actually just shuffled my question, everything deck. So can we play like just kind of a lightning round? Yes, please. Question, Are everything? We, how do you want to play? Do you want to pick one and we'll both answer? Oh, thanks. It didn't even occur to me that I would ever answer. Oh, come okay. on. You're so fun. We have to. Okay. So I, this is what landed first on my shuffle. And this is a fun one. What expert do you want lessons from? Mm, I really have wanted to do Taekwondo and I, or some sort of martial arts. So I really want to learn that in some form. That's super cool. Random, but I like to like do um, physical challenges every few years. Oh, that's neat. Okay. Well, I mean, if we're not naming names, I actually just even want to learn to knit, but I've been thwarted constantly. But the other thing I want is good knife skills. Interesting. Like, like first cooking. Yes. I'm always, I feel like such a, you know, lame that's hacker, cool. even though I've got really good knives. So there's a part of me speaking of Chicago is I would love to get, you know, Jeremy Allen White as Carmi to do be my knife skills coach. Oh, he's so cute. We would all like a lesson from Jeremy Allen White. <laughs> yeah, obsessed, obsessed. So cute. Oh, wow. This is, we've already kind of answered this, but a lyric, poem, mantra, or quote you hold on to tightly. Ooh, mine is always um, Shirley Chisholm. And she says, service is the rent you pay for a room on this earth. And when I heard that, I thought that's how I want to live my life. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I really like that one. 
Okay, so all the deep ones that I think about every day just went flying out of my head. But one relative to talent that I say all the time is um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that goes to a version of what you're saying was like, look at how hard you work putting in the time, especially using time when you had when you were unemployed, but to study how to ask questions and be a really good interviewer, but also the deeper nuance of that is the pausing, the transition, the body language, the facial expressions, the follow-up, incredible. And so that's where the hard work. I really like that. It's actually very inspiring because it makes you feel like you have a little more control over it too. Oh, I love that you said that. And I agree with that. And Matthew Hoffman said on the podcast recently where he said, working harder is working smarter. And I think, and that was his version of exactly what you're talking about is that not hamster wheel, but really, really strategic and identifying what do I want to get good at? What do I need to improve on? Okay. How am I going to do it? And he's such a self-starter and so creative. He's a great person to listen to. When was the last time you felt awe? Hmm. The Grand Canyon made me feel awe. I saw that about a year ago. Um, when was the last time I felt awe? I, what was the last? Usually live music makes me feel awe. Mm. Um, Why is that? I think I'm just so, just moved by music, but also I look at these people on stage and I'm like, that's such talent. Like it's just breathing for them for, you would never want to hear me sing, you know, like just, I can't believe the talent that they have and what it takes to, it's almost like, um, how parents talk about wearing, uh, that kids are sort of like their heart walking around in the world. I think artists and musicians just wear their heart outside of themselves all the time. And that takes so much guts. Oh, I love that. And I'm with you. It's like, aside from my knife skills, it's to be able to sing is the skill I wish I had. What makes you feel off? Okay. As cheesy as it sounds, you know, walking around where I live in Brooklyn, we get the most spectacular sunsets. And I just mm. feel awe seeing like New York Harbor and the beautiful views that I live with every day. Like I don't take it for granted. That's really, really nice. I think most people do when they live somewhere. Okay, this is um, fun. What's your favorite scent? Mm. I, this is gonna sound so corny. Um, my first thought was, I love my dad's smell. Like oh, when wow. I hug him, I love how he smells, but that's so corny. So I'm gonna give you, I love like any um, Santal 26 candle. That, mm. I think that smells really good. How about you? Wait, it's funny you'd say that I was at the theater not too long ago. This is way too much information for everyone listening. But I actually turned to the woman next to me and said, I'm sorry, what are you wearing? You smell fantastic. And I think Did it was Santal. tell you her honest answer? Because sometimes yeah. they don't want to share. No, she wasn't. I think it was Santal 34. Is that oh. a possible? Is that a, yes, probably. Yeah. Le Labo has so many good scents. That's, it, was, it was a Le Labo scent. Yeah. And I, was I like, like the smell of an old book at a library. That smells really good. You're very sensory. I think so. Actually, sometimes when I'm in New York, I have to um, go inside because if I'm out on the streets for hours, which I love to do and walk, I'm like, oh, wow, it's a lot of noise. Does that ever happen to you? Yes, I've become a um, more sensitive person as I've gotten older. Tell me something about yourself that sounds made up, but is 100% true. 
Oh, I have a really good one for this. Oh, good, 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 good. So Chris Brown blocks me on Instagram. And I don't know why. I've never met Chris Brown. I've never interviewed Chris Brown. The only thing I can think of is, well, <laughs> years ago when I figured out he blocked me, my friend was like, did you date Chris Brown? And you didn't tell me. And he's like so mad at you. And I was like, no, <laughs> but maybe he dated a different Danielle. Um, but I think maybe when I was working in entertainment news, he saw a video of me talking about the Rihanna Chris Brown situation and he got mad because I don't know why he blocks me, but I sort of take it as a feminist badge of honor. I'm going to ask him if I ever meet him. Who's left that you haven't interviewed that you want to interview? Oh, so many. I'm dying to interview Hillary Clinton, Oprah, um, dying to interview Michael Jordan because he doesn't do many interviews. And I'm from Chicago. I'm a big Bulls fan. And there's so many new stars. Um, like Jeremy Allen White is, you know, I mean, he's been around in Shameless for years, but there's all these sort of like millennial Gen Z artists that I haven't spoken to. I haven't talked to Dua Lipa. I've never talked, I've never spoke to Selena Gomez. There's a ton. If you, when you want to interview someone, what's your approach to asking? Oh, I'm very specific. Um, I found a lot of, I do a lot of cold emails and I found luck the more specific I am. Um, so one I think is don't be afraid of rejection. I get rejected a lot. And then I follow up a few months later and sometimes they say yes. And uh, secondly, I'll say like, for instance, with Constance Wu, um, I reached out and I said, uh, I read your book and I felt so connected to your, to your story for these three reasons. One, I moved to LA alone and didn't have, you know, any connections and worked all these odd jobs the way you did. Two, your story about social media and sexual harassment really um, rang in my ears because it was so nuanced. And I thought it was a story that women really hadn't heard before. And three, uh, she talked about AAPI and, um, sort of like stereotypical roles in a way I hadn't heard anybody speak about before. And I knew that was close to her heart. And so um, I said, I know your book's been out for a little over a year and you haven't done many interviews over this past year. I'd love to talk to you in hindsight. I feel like you probably have a whole new perspective a year later and would love to just hear your journey. And then I always add why it's beneficial for them. And I put three bullet points. So one is um, the paperback version of your book just came out a few months ago. Our My podcast is very booky and we sell books too. You know, like I, I try and make it really specific. And then I just say, thank you for considering Danielle. That's so fantastic. And just to tag on that, not only are you specific, you focus on value. And once again, you've demonstrated throughout this conversation how much work you put in and all that work pays off. I hope so. Well, Constance Wu said yes. She said yes. And I, I decided a long time ago that I want to be a person that tries. And so I interviewed um, a rabbi on my podcast about the end of life um, because he had, I think, read over a thousand eulogies. And I said, what do you understand about death that most people don't? And he said, it's all about regret. Everybody on their deathbed, 90% of people will say, I regret the things I didn't do. I regretted living for somebody else. I regretted not trying. And I was like, I want to be a person that tries. I don't want those regrets. 
Danielle, I could just keep you here for hours. So I'm going to let you go. Thank you. What an incredible gift and a great guest you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hope you'll come back. I would love to come back. I think you're such um, you're such a safe space. You make people feel so comfortable, and I'm, I am really grateful for your time. So thank you for having oh, me. Oh, oh, thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you're interested in brushing up on your interview or presentation skills, I would love to help you. Please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com, and be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already ready.